0: What a blessing it is to have such truth to sing as we just sang. I couldn't help but as we chose that to go along with this message today because if you were to be on the sidelines watching what was going on, you would be reading everything incorrectly and you would think that the church is the losers and the world are the winners. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death, that is the death of Stephen. At that time, great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere bringing the good news. Last Sunday we spoke about disturbances. How just by the church's mere presence, the faithful church is a disturbance to the world. And as we return to the book of Acts now, we see this clearly illustrated before us. We see the rising animosity against the church. It begins with Peter and John merely being arrested for preaching Christ, they were given a stern warning. Then they were arrested again and they were beaten. The escalation. Begins. And then it escalates to the point where Stephen is stoned to death. And with that stoning, with that death, it opens the floodgates of persecution against the church. And as we come to Acts 8, it begins with, in my humble opinion, what really should be chapter 7 and verse 61 or a continuation of verse 60. Now Saul was consenting to his death. That really belongs with what was happening there uh, with Stephen being stoned to death. Saul, as we have already seen in chapter 7 and verse 58, was very accommodating to this, uh, this killing of Stephen. He, he made it so, here, hand me your cloaks and, and, and those things that would inhibit the, way that you, the freedom that you would have to be able to throw those rocks with uh, With ease, and so they laid their garments at his feet so that they would have more freedom to be able to throw the rocks and We see by his action then that he was consenting to the death of Stephen, a man by whom Saul and his associates were stymied as they tried to argue and debate with him Stephen overcame them at every turn and that also fueled the anger that was in Saul at that point. As we come to verse 1, we read, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church that was in Jerusalem. What a problem the church had become. It had become to the not only the world, but to the religious status quo of the day, which was really part of the world. Not only was it disrupting the religious power structure, but I can give you five reasons that it really disturbed them. The first and foremost was the preaching of Christ, the preaching of his death and burial and resurrection and ascension, and the reason for his death, the substitutionary atonement, Jesus dying in the sinner's place. They didn't want that name of Jesus to be proclaimed. (coughs) And there's not much different. We notice that some people who are supposed to be pastors of the church of Jesus Christ, when they are called upon in public to pray, they'll somehow leave off in the name of Christ. So second, there were miracles that were taking place and miracles that they had to admit were miracles. Thirdly, mass conversions were happening. And then, fourthly, there were the people who had been converted. Oh, the way they behaved. They were eating together. They were sharing their goods with the poor, of their lot. They were worshiping and studying the word together. There's a sense of harmony that certainly did, it was not a hallmark of the Jews of that day. And then fifthly and lastly, there was this, adding to all this was the fear of the Roman authorities who might link these behaviors to the Jews themselves in this great talk about Jesus as Lord and King. So we begin then by seeing that there's a great persecution that takes place. It tells us right there in verse 1, at that time, a a great persecution arose. This is brand new. This hasn't happened before. Not in in mass. Now it's happened to two of the apostles, and it's happened for one of of, uh, those that were followers. But at this point, it hasn't been on a mass scale. it's rapidly escalating in verse 3. Notice it says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. He was becoming the star of the persecution, if you will. No one showed more zeal in the persecuting of the church than he. And if you notice, the only name that's mentioned in regard to the persecuting of the church is Saul. There are others who were doing it, but he was in the forefront. And it's his name that gets mentioned. Now, just as an aside, Paul was a student of Gamaliel, a man whom we, we met back in chapter 5 and verse 34. And the advice that he gave to the council at the time. In verse 34, then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody. The number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain and all who... Obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing, and after this a man after this man, Judas of Galilee, arose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him, he also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed and Now I say to you, keep away from these men, let them alone; for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing, but if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you be found to fight. Against God. Notice the beginning of verse 4. And they agreed with him. This great advice that he gave. And yet his pupil. Would not follow it. For we read in Acts 22 verse 3. Paul talking of himself. He says. I am indeed a Jew. Born in Tarsus of Cilicia. But brought up in this city. In Jerusalem. At the feet of Gamaliel taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. So here he had this this great teacher who had given great advice but was now not being followed. Now, having been trained by Galileo, what was his pupil doing? He made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. He was ravaging the church. To, to what extent? Well, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. His goal was to completely devastate the church, to injure and ruin it. And, of course, at the time, there were no church buildings. People met from house to house The ones who had the biggest, most uh, accommodating uh, type of dwelling, that became a place where people would gather. And so there was private homes, and it was also quite common. We could say that there was a, a network of people who were more than willing to report all those homes where believers were meeting. For Saul went to every house, not every house without discretion, but to every house that had been pointed out to him was a potential place of people gathering and hailing or dragging off men and women. This now is the first time that we read of both men and women being punished being taken to prison, being persecuted. So you can see the level of animosity had gone far beyond any scale of anything known before. And see how he himself would refer to this in Galatians 1 and verse 13. He says, For you heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure. That means without restraint, And tried to destroy it. It's interesting to remember. When Jacob gave his prophecies and blessings to his son, in Genesis chapter 49, at verse 27, he said this of his son Benjamin Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. And here Paul was living up to that prophecy. For if we turn to Philippians uh, chapter 3 and verses 4 and 5, he says, though I, I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, what, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. That was what was going on at that time, and if we turn to Acts 22 in, in verse 4, He will say, I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering into prisons, both men and women. And further, he would say of himself in Acts 26 and verse 9, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them, even foreign cities. <clears throat> so this is Paul's self-testimony, and it's borne out here also by Luke as he's writing this down in, in Acts for us. Now, in the midst of all this, there's a tender show of bravery. And we find that in verse 2 of chapter 8, a tender show of great bravery. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. In the haste to show the level of persecution, verse 2 often gets ignored. But in the midst of this turmoil devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation for him. These men who were known by their faith and practice, true believers not Jews but members of the Christian church had the courage and the desire to show respect to their slain brother. And in respect to the dead body They took it out from under the stones because when they were done stoning somebody, they would just cover them over with stones. They took the body out from under the stones. They washed it and they wrapped it. And then they buried him. They could not allow their brother's body to lay unattended. For that would be a sign of being cursed. They love, not only in life, but also in death. And isn't it interesting? Here all we have is, they're devout men. We don't have their names. But what they did will be remembered forever. Now beginning first 3, we have unintended results. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Saul's attempt to destroy the church turned out to do exactly the opposite of what he was attempting to do. If we go back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, we have these words from Jesus. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, or be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But so far, what was going on was they were being his witnesses in Jerusalem. And so they were doing a good job in Jerusalem. But this de- desperate attempt at destruction caused what we see in verse four, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, bringing the good news. I, I find that the uh, in, in verse four the word translated preaching there is really not the correct one uh, to to translate that, it's, it's evangelizing. The Greek word evangelizo, it means to evangelize. They went into the cities evangelizing. Now, if we look at verse 5, then Philip went down to the cities of Samaria, and Caruso, he preached Christ to them. So these that went, and they spread out. They were bringing the good news, and it was Philip that was actually preaching. So really what happened then? Saul's attempt to destroy the church in essence begins to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus proclaimed to his men, to his disciples, to fulfill the commission that he's giving them. And far from destroying the church, he helped to extend its influence. I'm going to destroy the church. How are you going to destroy? Well, I'm going to get rid of everybody. What happens? They disperse. And what he attempted to do absolutely backfires and goes 180 degrees a different way. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere. Hiding out in fear? Oh, no. Bringing the good news. evangelists. hope. They were going through the areas of Judea and Samaria. If we look at uh, chapter 11 in verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. There they were spreading out going all these different places with the word of God. And what's even more ironic about this is that Saul persecuting the church causes it to disperse. And then what happens? After he is converted and made an apostle, he benefits from this dispersal, going and setting up different churches in these places that the people had been dispersed to. God moves in a mysterious way. (laughs) You would look at this and say, this man is doing everything he can to destroy this movement, and yet at the same time, he's making it prosper. Jesus, in Matthew 10 and verse 23, made it clear that persecution was going to come. You see, Jesus was never one of those prosperity preachers who said, oh, all you have to do is this and everything will be wonderful to you and for you. He wasn't one of those nitwits that gets out there and fools everybody about how all you have to do is have enough faith and your, your bank account will be great, you'll never be sick, and all that other nonsense that they, they get out there. Jesus actually told the truth about what it's going to be like to be his disciple. And he said in Matthew 10 and verse 23, when they persecute you, not if they persecute you, but when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And something that is often forgotten, especially in the church today, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's interesting. We've, we find that if the church, especially in America, feels any kind of, of pushback, there's this great whining that takes place. Why, should, why isn't it that the world loves us? The world should love us. They should like us. A servant's not above his master. Jesus said, if they did these things to me, they're certainly going to do these things to you. How is it that we think we're above Jesus as we walk through this world? We note that they followed what he said in Acts chapter 14 and verse 2. But unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made both by the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia and in the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. So every time persecution arose, it's moved down the road a little bit and began to preach all over again. Now it's interesting when you think about it, when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery and after Joseph had become the second most powerful man in Egypt and he was reunited with his brothers and they were really sad about what they did. He said to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that's the same way with Saul. He meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Look at five things as we close on this then. First, the evil that man plots against the church will always produce the opposite effect. It will always happen. Consider Herod. After the child is born, let's kill all the babies and make sure we get rid of them. Didn't work. Consider Judas. Let's get rid of Jesus. Turn him in. Success. He goes to the cross. What happens? The great victory takes place. The second thing I'd like us to see here, too, is the fact that persecution proves truth. It proves reality. You can't persecute a non reality. In fact, did you understand, too, that those who call themselves atheists cannot be atheists unless there's a God? Because you can't be against God if God doesn't exist. Because then you're against nothing. What sense does that make? Might work good on social media, but in reality, it doesn't come out very well. Thirdly, sometimes the church needs disruption. Sometimes we need disruptions in our lives because we get too settled and we get too used to things being a certain way. We need disruptions. Fourth, At one time, Saul was an enemy of the church. He was a real good Jew. He even said, I I was beating my brothers. Not literally, but outpacing them. Let's put it that way. But it's interesting. We see what happens to him after, and we'll see that in a couple of weeks. He would truly become one of God's people as long as he was persecuting the church of Christ, he wasn't God's person. He wasn't God's man. He could claim all he wants to about his Judaism and being of the tribe of Benjamin and and all the zeal he had for the law, but he was a rank unbeliever at that point because he did not embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. But soon, Christ would truly make him one of God's people. And then last, nobody cried out about how unfair it was. We don't have anybody, any record of people saying, why is God letting this happen to us? They knew it would happen because the Lord said it would. They didn't hunker down and say, oh, if we could get just another governor, how much better our lives would be. But instead, they undauntedly went to look for opportunities to spread the truth. Because that's, regardless what you read and regardless of new movements that are taking place and things that sound good, the world... Needs the gospel. Oh, it's great that maybe we have a majority in the House of Representatives. How's that working out so far? (laughs) But We forget that as children of God, we don't need majorities. We need faithfulness. We need the truth. We need to be firm on the gospel and be able and ready to share it. For that is what the world needs, and it needs desperately. And that, if you're here this morning, is what you need desperately. You need the Lord Jesus Christ, because in him only, in his name alone, is there salvation. Let's stand together for prayer.